Good afternoon, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine's Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Maine's coastline has inspired writers and artists for generations. On today's Coastal Conversations, we're thrilled to feature three contemporary Maine writers who each have a special connection with the coast of Maine and coastlines around the world. Our featured writers today include Linda Buckmaster, writer, teacher, and self-described wanderer from Belfast, Maine, Valerie Lawson, poet, publisher, and teacher from Robinston, Maine, and Kristen Lindquist, writer, poet, and naturalist from Camden, Maine. We'll hear about the role of writing and art in their lives, their connections to nature and the coast, and what inspires their work now in the present. And most exciting, each author will read some of their recent work, including some poetry, haiku and haibun, and prose. So let's get to it. Well, I am so excited to have the three of you with us today on Coastal Conversations talking about your writing and the places that inspire you and the people that inspire you um, in your work um, as writers and as poets. So this is going to be a great show and I'm excited to jump in. Um, so the first thing I would love to have you all do is just introduce yourselves to our listeners. Um, start by maybe sharing, obviously, your name and where you're from. Um, and a little bit about your work, if you would. Um, and let's start with Linda. Well, I'm Linda Buckmaster. Uh, I live in Belfast. I moved to Waldo County in 1973 as part of the Back to the Lamb movement. And, um, and then in 84, I moved into Belfast itself. I like to say that I have lived within a block of the Atlantic most of my life. And that is still the truth because it's right, right down the road here. Um, I'm on a dead end street. Um, my work is, um, I've been doing a lot of different things over the years. I work in poetry, prose, um, fiction and nonfiction, um, essay. Um, I, I just kind of mix it up depending on the material. So I can, I'm going to say more about some of that stuff later. So that's who I am. That's great. Thank you, Linda. And welcome to the show. Um, and let's go with Kristen next. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Hi, I'm Kristen Lindquist. I live in Camden, Maine, which is actually my hometown. My mother was born here. Uh, I went to college in Vermont, which I loved. It's a beautiful state, but came back to Maine because I needed to be near the ocean. So that's why I'm here. Uh, I write natural history essays and poetry, uh, which in a way has led me to the form I am currently um, spending a lot of time with, um, I write haiku and I write a form called haibun, which is 
uh, 17th century Japanese form as is haiku that combines prose and poetry. So it's it's like a prose poem, usually capped by a haiku. So I'll, I'll be reading some of those later, just to give that a little introduction. So it enables me to combine my love of essays and my love of poetry in one genre, which I really appreciate. That's great. Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. And you mentioned that we are going to have each of you do a little bit of reading of your work, which is exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Um, last but not least, our third guest today is Valerie. Valerie, welcome. Hi, I'm Valerie Lawson, and I live in Robinston, which is historically Passamaquoddy land. And I live right on Passamaquoddy Bay, which um, I'm a water girl, too. I've always lived close to the water. I moved Literally, I did the down east thing and went from Massachusetts and came down east to get to Maine as soon as I could, as they say. Um, I write I write often about nature because I live in it and I appreciate it. And it's um, how can you not? You know, it's it's what surrounds you. It's what's underfoot. It's what's overhead. Uh, it the animals speak to you. The plants grow around you. So it's it's a rich source of material. Um, I'm also an editor and a publisher <clears throat> and a teacher. Um, I guess that's about it for now. I'm looking forward to reading uh, some poems about reversing falls later. Great, thank you all so much. I'm curious, um, well, for starters, I will say, um, I think that we are all kindred spirits in our connection to the ocean and the coast and the natural environment around us as are most of our listeners. So it's really great to have you all here. Um, I was wondering if you all could share a little bit about writing. Um, have you been writing for forever? Sort of what role does writing and art play in your life? Well, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, I actually moved to Maine um, because I thought I wanted to be a writer. Now, I didn't know anything about anything. And, um, you know, I'm 23 <laughs> years old. So a couple of decades later, I was really starting to get into that kind of thing. And I went back to um, to uh, University of Maine and Orono to finish my degree in the 80s. Um, and that's when I really started getting serious about what I was doing and worked with uh, Constance Hunting, who some of your listeners may remember Constance. And uh, she introduced me to the literature of Maine. And she also introduced me to writing as um, craft. And, and she published some of my work, first work and Pucker brush reviews. That was great. Um, so I was writing poetry off and on over the years. And then I got more serious about that after the sudden death of my husband in 1998. I was in a writing group. And, um, and at, after a year, I realized, wow, I, I have a little collection of poems here. Um, and, it, and I published very casually a small chapbook on that called Afterlife. Um, so uh, I was working more in poetry and as you know, we have a great poetry community in Belfast. We have a great poetry and writing community all over the state of Maine. I And you know, I always enjoy going to events where I can see other members of the tribe. I mean, it's, it's really 
and over decades, really, we've all been working together. So we have the, you know, a relationship of sorts, um, which is really helpful. I eventually became poet laureate at Belfast. And it was at that point, I sort of discovered the public poet part of myself. So poet laureate in Belfast, the job description is be Belfastian. <laughs> a lot of, lot of room there for uh, uh, what you want to do. And um, in not necessarily about me writing wonderful poetry about Belfast, although I have done some poems for occasions. Um, and But I got into promoting poetry in general in the community and other writers, other poets, pushing them forward, me being in the background more. Um, uh, doing events, starting teaching workshops. And that's something that I've really carried forward with me, um, you know, since then. And that was in the 90s. Um, I founded Locally Grown Books, which is a very loose collective. At this point, we have 14 authors. And we've been, um, we've been every week at the farmer's market, the art market, part of the farmer's market in Belfast. And uh, so far, I, I think we're gonna break $2,000 in sales at least, and 150 or more books that we've sold, selling by hand. So that's been really fun. And we are going to be at the uh, Main Lit Festival in the book, in the book fair. Um, and we're open to having new people. It's loose, as I said. Uh, so, so I went, I got an MFA, da, 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 and really remembered, I really wanted to be an essayist. So started doing that and came out with Space Heart, a memoir in stages in 2018, uh, because I grew up on the Space Coast near Cape Canaveral in Florida. And my latest book is Elemental, a miscellany of salt cod and islands. And I'll talk more about that. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Kristen, do you want to go next with sort of your writing trajectory? What role writing plays in your life? Sure. So uh, I have always been a writer um, since I was a little kid. Uh, used to write uh, little stories that I made into little books for my classmates in grade school and uh, went to college intending to be a French major. I went to Middlebury, which is a big language program, but ended up um, being an English major with a writing concentration and got involved with the Bread Love Writers Conference there where I worked for many years after and uh, then went out to University of Oregon to get an MFA. So did experience a little life on the other coast, um, but then was drawn back to Maine. Um, and was really sustained in my practice, I think, my, especially with poetry, uh, through a writing group, uh, which um, the core group was Kate Barnes, Elizabeth Tibbetts, and Candace Stover, all other main coast poets. And we were occasionally able to um, be joined by Betsy Scholl and Doug Woodsum. So kind of a neat core group there that we kept going for a long time. Uh, and then also, um, I've always liked to write essays as well. So started writing a nature essay column for the local paper, which I did up until I think May of May of the pandemic, May 2020 was my last one. And, um, you know, I've done you know feature things for Down East Magazine. Um, I've done some creature features for the Natural Resources Council of Maine, which are fun. They do these little 
you know, did you know uh, little blurbs on on native animals, birds and animals, which is fun. Um, and then um, most recently uh, have been really focused on haiku. And as, as I said before, the a form that combines prose and haiku called haibun. Um, just really love the distilled quality of that. Um, and then with the haibun, the ability to to have the distilled haiku, um, but also combine it maybe with a story um, or some sort of, you know, nature, miniature nature essay type thing. Um, so I've really liked being able to combine the genres like that. Um, I have a haiku, I'm in a haiku group that's based in Massachusetts. Um, we've been able to meet by Zoom every month, which has been wonderful. And I'm actually going to go to an in-person haiku gathering tomorrow in Deerfield, New Hampshire. So that's, that's really fun. I feel like I've really found a community there. I write a daily haiku blog, which I've done since 2012. And that really keeps me going because no matter what's going on in my day, you know, I don't have time to write. I don't have time to do this and that. I always make time to write at least a haiku. So that's been, that's been good. And I, I should actually hasten to add here for your listeners um, that a haiku is probably not what you think it is. It's in school, we're taught about the haiku form as a way to learn syllables, um, that it's a five, seven, five syllable poem, three line poem. Um, if you're Japanese, that's correct. It's, it's a five, seven, five sound unit poem in English language haiku as it's written today. Uh, we don't count syllables. Um, it's more about the imagery and um, trying to capture a moment, um, the contrasting of two images together. Maybe when, hopefully when you hear me read some haiku it will become clear what's going on, but it's not about the syllables. Um, so when you hear me read them, don't be counting syllables because they won't be 17 syllables. They'll, they'll be less, um, there'll be fewer syllables because English syllables are uh, counted differently than Japanese syllables. Like the word haiku in Japanese, and we say it haiku, two syllables. In Japanese, you would say it with three syllables, haiku. So just as an example, English language haiku are generally 10 to 14, 15 syllables. I'm so glad you clarified that, Kristen. I was going to ask you actually, because um, just a couple days ago, I was telling my daughter and her friend about this upcoming show, and they started saying, oh, right, haiku, wait, is that 757? Is it 575? And I was like, I don't know. I'll find out. So it's yeah, that's, that's how we all learn. <laughs> Yeah. And all those books like, you know, haiku about cats, you know, those we call that spam coup because they aren't really haiku. <laughs> they're jokey things, you know, written in, in a form, but they're not technically they're not haiku, but they're fun. <laughs> yeah. OK, great. Thank you, Kristen. And Valerie, tell us a little bit about your writing journey. So I actually started out as a visual artist and uh, went to school. Uh, got started in school, wound up having to drop out of school because of uh, a relationship, and that actually turned very bad. Uh, it was just a horrible, uh, verbally abusive sort of thing, and eventually I wasn't able to make art anymore. So what I did was part of my process of healing was to start journaling, and when I hear people talking, you know, disparaging journals, I say, don't do that. You know, that's, journaling is really good. It really gets to places you are surprised about. 
And I found all of a sudden that I was writing sentences that I liked. And I've always been a reader, you know, since I was a little kid. Uh, my dad would work downtown in southeastern Massachusetts and drop me off at the library and I would spend my Saturdays in the library. And I was convinced I would read every book in that library. I haven't succeeded yet, but <laughs> what can I say? Uh, so anyway, I, I turned to writing and discovered that I could do this and decided to take a couple of classes with, you know, at the local community college and, you know, just slowly built over time, discovered the poetry community in Massachusetts. I was told in that class by someone, a, a fellow student, they said to me, you need to write poetry because that's what you are. That's what you've got the language and, and such. And and the instructor in this class said, you know, what's happening here is that you have someone who's an artist who knows how to make images. She's just putting it in language now. So it's just a, it's a different side of the same skill. So it's like, oh, OK, cool. So later I would learn that that's called ekphrastic work. So you know, as, as you build on things. And then I stumbled into the spoken word community. I went to a poetry slam. And I was literally gobsmacked. I was like, holy cow. You know, I was a very shy and quiet person, you know, still recovering. You know, I had PTSD. So the idea of getting in front of an audience and presenting was the scariest thing I could ever consider. And yet it was what I really, really wanted to do. And, you know, we had models in the in the area like Patricia Smith. You know, I the first time I saw her perform, I was like, oh. Oh my God, you know, I want to learn how to do this. And uh, so I got involved with Poetry Slam and the spoken word community and learned how to do it, you know, conquered the fear and got up there and did the work and started doing what Linda was talking about, you know, becoming a public poet and building poetry communities. I ran a venue uh, down in Southeastern Massachusetts and I was one of the early female slam masters what they call you is when you run a venue that's that hosts poetry slams so i was one of the, the early women to get in there i was invited to the first uh, women of the world poetry slam for that reason so that was nice so when we moved to maine it was just sort of an extension of work that we had already done you know we started developing readings down where we lived and we would even drive as far as bangor to help with a poetry slam in Bangor, just because that's what we do. My husband and I, my husband's also a, a poetry slam maven. He and Patricia brought poetry slam to New England back in the, the late 1990s. And then we were approached about off the coast. So we decided to start, we picked it up and carried it forward. The magazine, the, the poetry journal off the coast, we carried that for 10 years and edited it, made it an international journal. Uh, we did a translation issue. We did some themed issues like water, which, you know, I look back at that now and I go, geez, you know, it feels like water is such a huge issue right now. And uh, we did a green issue with the Unity College. We did that in cooperation with one of the classes there, which was really fun to do. And it was a rigorous experience for the students, let's say. <laughs> they had no idea how much work it is to run a, a literary journal. And then we turned we turned the magazine over to one of our interns who became one of our editorial staff and then who went on and said, I'm going to take the magazine over. And uh, so she did, Allie Talbot. And we started publishing books. And 
the first book that we published was uh, Three Nations Anthology, which I edited and which was actually part of my senior capstone work from University of Maine Machias, where I studied electronic publishing and, and book arts. And then the latest book was uh, Stories Our Grandmothers Told Us, which I worked with Wayne Newell, a Passamaquoddy elder, and Robert Levitt, who is a, a Passamaquoddy translator. <clears throat> and both of those books went on to win the Maine Literary Award. So I'm really proud of those. Yeah, that, that's, that catches us up to huh. today. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much. Um if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations with me, your host, Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, here on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org. Our show today features writers of the Maine coast. We've been talking with Linda Buckmaster from Belfast, Kristen Lindquist from Camden, and most recently that was Valerie Lawson from Robinston. Our show was pre-recorded, so we won't be taking any calls today. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, I'm excited to give you all, our listeners, a chance to hear our guests read from their own work in their own voices. We'll get that started with Valerie Lawson, who begins by giving us a little bit of context about her chosen pieces. Here is Valerie Lawson. So um, the most recent work that I've done is uh, on a project called Writing the Land, and this was created by Liz McLaughlin. And it's a project that connects conserved spaces with poets. And there's a website, uh, they, de they develop and create anthologies from the work, from the sale of the anthologies, that money goes to the conserved spaces. Um, it, it develops visibility and also brings arts and nature and literature all together at the same time. They also do videos of a reading of the poet doing their work. And me being me and a little more artsy, I, I got a little crazy and went, I'm going to make a video. And I made a video with video clips and sound clips and the whole bit with the poem in the background and uh, the Maine Arts Commission uh, generously gave me funds to help do that work. So um, I'm really happy about that. And uh, the Down East Coastal Conservancy likes my poems. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> and, and hope it brings some attention to, to the space. It's a beautiful space. So I'll, I'll read the, I have three poems about that. Uh, the first one is in geologic time. You hear the falls before you see them, like a high wind sweeping through pine and fir. Water cascades over the rock ledge, eddies swirl on the surface. Gapsbook, Passamaquoddy for this place of boiling water, anglicized to Cobscook. Here wind and water are verbs, earth the object. In geologic time, the terrain is new, shaping and shaped. How does this land not break? As we navigate the trail, there is something about the tree roots underfoot, the knuckling hold in the thin soil of the rocky ledges, the bleached bones of a weathered cedar arcing gracefully, a final arabesque before tumbling onto the shingle beach. Each falling tree releases itself to the next generation, nest snag, nurse log, seedling compost. It is all connected, Trees, water, wind, the rock we stand on, the seals working the seams of water for fish, loons in the lane beyond. We are all stitched together, convened within the cupped hands of a protected space, 
holding the beating heart of this tidal engine. The pack-in, pack-out trail embraces a quiet cove. The online comments encourage you to return, to understand differently, to bring a picnic. High and low tides change things. So do light and season. There is nothing here to take away but contemplation, your sense of wonder renewed. Dogs and kids welcome too. And this next one uh, started by the crazy idea of why not do a guzzle with birdsong? <laughs> I'm just going to drop that there. That's just a, a poet crazy thing. You know, we get these weird ideas and then art comes from them. So this is spring migration. And uh, just a quick note, a lot of work went into this, going to eBay and making sure I had the right species, the right bird song in the right place at the right time. So this, we, we do our work as, as writers. And this, uh, this, this poem did that. Spring migration. There are three places to look, up, down, straight ahead. Let the water be straight ahead. Horizon, the line that divides land from sky, the mutable, inconstant, fickle, moon-prone, necessary. Stacking life on life, invisible, green, scalloped, wriggling tendrils muckbound, rooted, leafed, footed, winged. Drumbeat song, what was that? Here I am, over here, see me. Where are you? Who leaves this land swaps element for element. The journey from Bangor Airport tests one, the long drive on the airline road up country from the coastal road, the great migratory route one from Key West to Presque Isle. The bird's flight begins in South America, Costa Rica, Central America, driven to seek to fly north to breed, raise their young, and return. The birders are there to greet them. Who comes to this land swaps element for element. Here I am, over here, see me, where are you? Check, sit, see, poor Sam, Peabody, 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 dee, dee, dee. Sweet, 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 I'm so sweet, Pleased to meet you. Cheer up, cheerily, 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 pit, dit, buzz, fee, bee, dee. Witchity, witchity, witchity. We see, chip, we see. Crock, crock, brrr. Chuff, chuff, tea, tea. Dee, 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 dee. Cleek, kick, 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 kick. J, 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 oh, holy, holy, ah, shari, shari, sharup, plink, plink, zip, zir, dee, 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 tia, taya, tawido, to whip, hear me, see me, here I am, drink your tea, chickadee, dee, dee, chickadee, dee, dee. That was fun. <laughs> And the final poem in this series is uh, about the falls themselves, reversing falls. Slack water, slack water, slack water turns. A sip turns slack water. A slosh at the lip, slack water turns. As water changes its mind, 
moon mad, semi-diurnal, picking up near resonance, the tide from the Gulf of Maine, Bay of Fundy, the broad reach of the North Atlantic, half a cubic kilometer entering each flood, emptying each ebb, comparable to the mean outflow of the Mississippi River in the same amount of time. Twice a day, the churn and push, the bay system an intricate cup filling with nutrient-rich soup, freshened by the outflow from Denny's and Penamaquan rivers, feeding and feeding, scallops, mussels, clams, and urchins, ladling the news from the wide world on its crooked way. Slack water gives way to confusion, Falls Island muscling the water aside, turning the tide, turning the flow around the island, allowing a bit to flow through the gap, caroming off the channel between Mahar Point and the island, pouring over the rocky ledges of Cobbscook Falls, the space between lip and plunge a chaste kiss, the water filling the inner bay, filling minute by minute, hour by hour, the long pour settles, the phytoplankton and macroalgal detritus feeds the benthic community, the long pour settles to brief stasis, slack water, slack water turns, turns a slosh at the lip, heads back to sea. Thank you. So great to hear your words. Wow. The, um, so much, so much. I will just share that a couple of the lines that really resonated for me. Um, how does this land not break? Hmm. That was just beautiful. And seals working the seams of water for fish. I spend a lot of time looking at seals and fish. And just that just brought it so vividly to life. And oh my goodness, your your bird songs. <laughs> that and I see everybody else nodding and smiling. That was just music. Um, my husband is an ornithologist, and so many of those sort of mnemonics are familiar to me. And and hearing them, I could hear and see the birds. That was just beautiful. Um, and then in your last one, the space between lip and plunge. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your reading. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Linda or Kristen, any, um, any inspired thoughts or, or any reflections on what hearing these words brought to you? Well, I, I, as a, an avid birder and birding guide, um, I really appreciated the bird song guzzle and definitely recognized the songs that were shared in there. And, um, just I I like to put bird song in my poems too. I just I think it's fun and uh, I really love the way you did that. Thank you. Thanks. I I actually think I might be onto something, or we might all now be onto something. Why not use those sounds? <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um I mean and the. The, the series just works really well together. It gives such a complete picture of the whole thing. Um, and I, you know, I write about the natural world, but I am not a naturalist. Uh, mm. And so I don't always have the details. I have to go look them up um, a lot. And, but the, the bird songs were just like right up there for me. I, I might steal some of those actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
feel free. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Valerie said something in your setup. You said, um, you, and it was just an off the cuff remark. You said, we do our work as writers. And I took that as, um, you know, you spend a lot of time researching and preparing and, and sort of really getting into the, the, the facts and the place and the feelings and, and a lot more goes into it than a hearer might really understand. And that made me think of the work that I've read of all three of you, um, which I just can't wait to keep reading more in the years to come. Um, and it, it really is apparent to me that that is just such a deep part of the process. And I wanted to turn to Linda next, um, because I know that you have been on a journey that involves a lot of work moving all the way around the North Atlantic Rim um, to really do your research and to be in place um, as you write. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your project that you've been working on and your recent book, and then we can move into a to a reading of yours okay um yeah i just was wrote down right research talk about research uh and i am not um necessarily a very methodical researcher i do what and i think i heard this from uh poet laureate um julia bosma i do poets research and i've expanded that to be i go after these bright shiny or dark little pieces and follow the string. And they really becomes an inspiration. Sometimes it's just like, oh, gotta get the name of that bird and look it up kind of thing. But it's also, it's a really nerdy part of me um, in getting that kind of information. And one thing about it is, uh, and sometimes uh, writers, beginner writers don't realize this is, you're not going to use it all. In fact, you're not even going to use most of it, but you're going to have that in your background so you can speak from a deeper space on it. Um, and, and, then, and then how does it, you know, carefully weave in to what it is you're trying to do? So I got this crazy obsession about salt cod. And I have to tell you, I don't really actually like salt cod. Um, well, I don't have fishermen in my background, except my son went to the West Coast for, you know, a, a couple of years. Uh, I don't come from Scotland or Newfoundland or anything like that. But I really got into this project. And it started with, I have a, this uh, larger picture of what I'm calling the North Atlantic Project. Um, which will have different aspects to it. And um, and who knows exactly how that's going to play out. Uh, because I, I got really um, aware of the connections across the North Atlantic Rim. We talk a lot about the Pacific Rim. We don't talk so much about the North Atlantic Rim. Um, cultural and, and landscape and geography and the elements, um, rock, sea, sky, wind. And even though there might be variations on that, that's what it's all about living up in the Northern Rim above 44 degrees latitude. So that's really what I, I, I got going on. And then I realized I needed a, I needed a, a something to muckle onto, right? To really pull the whole thing through. And I was thinking about, well, cod, cod is the fish that is shared the Atlantic cod um, in terms of cultures and the people who came over to fish it and all those kinds of things. Um, and then I narrowed it down really to salt cod when I realized what an amazing production salt cod was 
for a good 400 years. I mean, literally women on the beach bent over, stacking, unstacking, stacking, unstacking, day after day, um, in, particularly in Newfoundland. And Newfoundland, of course, was the center of the salt cod trade for um, from about the 17th century uh, into the mid 20th century. So I just, I, I just really got into it. And part of it, I was, is that I'm really interested in work, people's work and people's lives and communities and what that means. So all those things I was kind of pursuing in my work, in my, um, in my research, I was traveling, great excuse for traveling, right? I've been to Newfoundland several times. I'm going again uh, in September. Uh, and I was over in the Western Islands of Scotland. And also, of course, of course Portugal also uh, was is into this too. So, and I've got other places on my list. But then I had a whole bunch of stuff, right? I had a whole bunch of stuff. What am I going to do with this stuff? And I started writing and I had some things already written that um, some were poems, some were essays, some were little prose pieces, some were findings that I have um, that are so cool in them of themselves. I want to put them in the book. And I realized what I really had was a miscellany. Um, and wor working in multiple genres as the material requires. So I don't say I'm going to write a poem about salt cod. I had to write stories of salt cod people um, or something like that. So the name of my book is Elemental, a miscellany of salt cod. And towards the end, I realized this is really a story of islands, salt cod and islands. Uh, so. I put together this book and I found a wonderful designer, Lori Harley in um, Portland. I wanna say that I had sent out versions of it and got rejected. You know, we are, we're all used to that if we're writers. And then I realized, you know, here we are in the third year of the pandemic last October, I wanna do the book I wanna do. So I'm, I did it myself through my Huntress Press. Um, and found Lori Harley as a designer who's absolutely brilliant, brilliant merger of words and imagery uh, throughout the book. And so I feel quite pleased with it, actually. That's Linda Buckmaster from Belfast talking about her recently published book, Elemental, a Miscellany of Salt Cod and Islands, on today's episode of Coastal Conversations here on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org. Our show today features writers of the Maine coast. In addition to Linda Buckmaster, we've been hearing from Valerie Lawson of Robinston and Kristen Lindquist from Camden. Just a quick FYI, today's show was pre-recorded and we're not taking any calls. Let's get back to Linda Buckmaster, who was about to start reading a passage from her new book. And this is from the fiction section of the book. So the book has, has three sections. It has poetry, it has essay, and it has fiction. And this particular story, um, where did it come from? I don't know. I got the first line and then I kept going. The Smell of Him, A Fishing Community, 1952. 
He smelled a fish and more fish, sharp as an unexpected slap. He smelled of today's fish, yesterday's and last week's. The fish of seasons stretching back decades, his own few and those of his father and grandfather and some father before that. Fresh, gurry or dried rot, it didn't matter. It was still a smell that would make a flatlander's stomach heave like a punt on a quartering wave. Layers of days and nights, hauling, offloading, heading, gutting, scooping the stinking liver out and dropping it into the gunk hole. He wore the stink of diesel and used engine oil. He smelled of sour muskiness, of moldering hair and clothes long unwashed and crusted with salt. He carried the stink of soot, tarry rope and burned things. To her, he smelled like a life she didn't want. The smell of fish mingled with birthing blood and yeasty dough rising and baby vomit and trouble. The stink of her parents' house mingled with the sweet and funky tang of wood smoke as if there was something wild out there that she might be able to have. She knew the odor of musky sex she had smelled on her mother as she put the pre-dawn kettle on for her husband's tea before he left for the dock. She knew the smell of milk gone sour, curdling flesh wound, brother's sweat at the table, her own skin smelling the same as salt cod drying on the flake. She knew the sickening sweetness of mold and rot. Most of all, she knew the smell of poverty. She didn't want that life. She knew it stank, but still the smell of him pulled her in. It hung all around him like a quilt she just might like to pull over herself. She stepped in closer, inches from his half smile and hooded eyes. She took a good deep breath and with a jerk of her head said, hey, fisherman. Thank you. You're what, welcome. Yeah, what an incredible piece. Um, he's so vivid in my brain. I can just, I well, I can smell him. <laughs> yeah, and the, um, uh, I think it was make a flatlander stomach heave like a punt on a quartering wave. Oh, my stomach is skipping a beat there. <laughs> Yeah, that was really that have ha, I have also spent a lot of time, as you know, in some of the geographies that you've been traveling yeah. through and um, have had the opportunity to meet some people like the people you just described who just, yeah, you really make them come alive. Um, Kristen or Valerie, any any reflections? Yeah, so using using the sense of smell is is so fundamental. You know, I mean, that just hits you. I mean, that's the base level of your brain, you know, so that's a really good place to swim in as you want, if you want to call it that. Um, and I love the conversion from, you know, these funky, uh, foul odors into this something that you love, because that's what happens. You know, that's just a magical. It's really magical. Thank you. I just want to add, I had read in some place that um, I think it was a cut line for a photo uh, a girl has to choose wisely because she's going to depend on him for the rest of her life. 
And that was really, you know, I mean, that, and as you read some of the work and um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's really true, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you've gone from your father's home to your husband's home and there, that's yeah. what you've got. Yeah. Yeah, what, what I really appreciate about Elemental, which, which I own and love, um, it's a it's a beautiful book in itself, as you were saying. But I love I love the miscellany part of it. I love the combination of genres and how they all work together to just form this wonderful picture of the world of the North Atlantic Rim and the the fisherman's world and the island world. And it it's it really evokes uh, just that whole community, natural and human, as a collective thing I, it, and it's a it's a beautiful book I, I recommend it to people yeah and what is striking me about all your work and and we'll move to Kristen next um is what I what what is really impactful for me and Linda you said when when you're traveling and when you're in like thinking it through and research mode you, you referred to yourself as kind of that's the nerdy part of me me too right so I so I love the the infusion of the facts of the place like some of the words that you use like gurry um you know that's a that's a very fishy kind of a, a kind of a sound um and then the flakes right so you're you're bringing in so a flake is a is a drying rack for for codfish for our listeners who may not know and so the bringing in of those words that are really place-based and help bring bring kind of the context of that place um is really really quite wonderful so thank you. Thank you for that reading and for the story behind your wonderful book, which I too highly recommend. Um, Kristen, let's turn to you. Um, let's hear a little bit about your work. And I think we're going to go down a, a, a different genre and a different <laughs> avenue, which is what's really fun about having the three of you is the diversity of the work that's out oh. there. Sure. So um, I I work as sometimes I work as a naturalist or a birding guide and um, and then even more often I'm just out hiking and birding myself just and um, try to bring that into my writing as much as I can. Um, basically thinking of the landscape that we're in and the creatures we share it with, the other living things we share it with, um, they're our neighbors. So trying to introduce um, my readers to the other animals and plants and, and beings that, that share this landscape with us that are part of our community, um, you know, and how maybe we, we work together in some ways. Um, so I'm not sure that if that will come through or not, but I'm going to read you a few haiku, a handful of haiku from my chat book, um, it was the winner of the Snapshot Press eChatbook Award in 2020, and it's available for free download at snapshotpress.co.uk. Um, so you can go there and you can read them all, but I'm going to read you, I think, four or five here. Um, the, the whole, the, the collective intent of this, this small collection, it's 24 haiku altogether, uh, was to convey Maine basically. And so hopefully that will come through here. All day long, back and forth in the fog, the same crows. 
sap moon, stepping in moose tracks to stay on the trail. Longest day, I watch the tide come all the way in. Glacial erratic of all the places we could be. March wind, a blue tarp flaps loose on the woodpile. North star, it always comes back to this. So that's a sampling of my haiku. And then um, I wanted to share uh, three short haibun um, that are based I think they're, they're all based on Monhegan, Monhegan Island. I spend a lot of time there. It's about 10 or 12 miles offshore in Muscongas Bay. Small year round community of about 50 people, um, but a very large uh, visiting summer community and um, an art artist's community there. And I started going out there for the spring and fall bird migrations about 25 years ago and try to get back every spring and fall um, for that. Um, but I've gotten to know some of the people there as well as the birds and, and the natural community. So these are three Monhegan stories in, in Haibun. <laughs> Enemy. The burly bearded fisherman sits on the wharf, perched atop an overturned bait bucket, his back to the harbor. Behind him, his wife strips down to her underwear, preparing to jump in. Are you going to swim too, I ask him? The ocean is the enemy, he asserts loudly, gruffly. You can't live in there. Many fishermen don't even know how to swim. They don't bother to learn because if they end up in churning 45 degree water in the middle of the winter, trying to swim only prolongs the inevitable. I don't even sit by the pool when I'm on vacation, he tells me, indignant. Squeals and loud splashes behind him as his wife and a couple of others jump off the end of the wharf into the harbor, startling several gulls. It's something the islanders do when someone they love is leaving on the ferry at the end of the season. It's supposed to ensure the loved one returns. Departing ferry, tossed flowers, float back to shore. Reprise. During one spring visit for the bird migration, the island is fogged in for several days straight. Birds shift almost invisibly through the budding apple trees and tangled spruces, and almost every other one is a red-eyed vireo. So for days, I observe vireos in the fog. Pay close attention to this olive green songbird, the tiny hooked tip on its sturdy bill, the red of the eyes that you can see in the right light, the way it violently whacks a caterpillar against a branch to remove the bristles before swallowing it whole, the flash of wings as the bird dives into a bush and disappears, the color of leaves, and its song, that chirrupy robin-like song over and over throughout the day, long after most birds have fallen silent. Path to the shore, same moon my ancestors saw. And this last one is called Salt Air. 
It takes place on the island of Manana, which is right across the harbor from Monhegan, much smaller island with only one house on it. Salt air. A friend of mine keeps a herd of goats on a small island off a slightly larger island way off the coast of Maine. From across the harbor, you can often see the goats picking their way one after another along trails they've worn in the thin soil. Other times, they're out of sight for days, the fog amplifying their bleats. Following seas, the toll of a bell buoy grows louder. My friend was off island for several days and returned to utter chaos. The goats had broken into her house and trashed it. The animals ate all the grain as well as anything else they could find that was remotely edible and despoiled every surface, including her bed. Days later, when I asked how the cleanup is going, she says that even with all the windows open, everything in the house still smells like goat. Each lobster boat trailed by a cloud of gulls, mouths to feed. Thank you, Kristen. Wow. Um, I am new to paying attention to haikus. You're opening up a world for me and I bet a lot of listeners. Yeah, I don't think I've really paid attention to haikus since like high school, right? Since school. Um, but what really struck me, you're the longest day. Um, I think it was the longest day watching the tide come all the way in. I don't know if I got your words right, but, um, you know, so few words and in just a few words, I feel like the full, you know, six hours from low tide to high tide that, that really struck me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I love the ritual of swimmers um, and the fishermen who who won't go in. But I love the ritual of something the islanders do to ensure their loved ones return. That was that was really beautiful. Um, any reflections from? Yeah. So that all the way in that one hook word there, <laughs> all. <laughs> you know, that's like the art, you know, of poetry and of haiku is you know, you've got a really tiny space there to make a big impact. And that's the point. And you did it <laughs> over and over. You know, these are beautiful, fantastic. The stepping in the moose tracks and uh, the, the glacial erratics, you know, how, you know, this is how, how have we come to this? Is that correct? Did I get that approximate? Well, yeah. Of all, of all the places uh, the we could be. Yes. The randomness yeah, yeah. of it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the blue tarp flapping on the wood pile. It's just, it's not just the wind, but it's also, if it's a full wood pile, it's going to be snug and tight. You know, it's March, you're getting down to the ends of the wood pile and you know, there's, there's a story there. It's not just an image. It's a story, you know, that's beautiful. Um, and the goats. Oh my God. Oh my God. Can we all feel that? And smell it too, you know? <laughs> yes, well done, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs> yeah, I think the opening up of the possibility of what we can do with haiku in the in the 21st century, um, you know, and that that's what really makes it a live form, um, that it's still really relevant. It's not just about our cats or roses or <laughs> trying to be Japanese, right? and talking about the moon or whatever. And um, so I, and I'm very excited about the hyben, hyben, hyben. Hyben, um, yeah. 
Hyman, um, which is something I've thought about for a long time, that that combination of tight prose and then the then the who the breath at the end kind of thing. Yeah, the, the high bone actually originated as sort of a travel memoir um, with the poet Basho, who's Japan's most famous um, haiku master. Uh, journey to the journey to the north, journey to the interior. Um, it's it's a travelogue. Um, yeah, basically high bun um, with high you know other haiku in there. Um, but yeah, that's the model for you know how many years, how many decades, uh, centuries later, we're still yeah. making use of that. Yep. If you want a good um, a good place to check out the various possibilities of the haibun form, I recommend the online journal contemporaryhaibunonline.com. <laughs> Which kind of says it all right there. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, amazingly, we're at the end of our hour which just flew by. We have all kinds of other things that we could talk about that we're not going to, but um, thank you so much, all of you. Um, I wish we had more time. We'll have to do it again. But until then, I really appreciate your time and your sharing of your work. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. This is great. Yeah, thank this you so much. <laughs> Our guests on today's Coastal Conversations were Linda Buckmaster, writer, teacher, and self-described wanderer from Belfast, Maine, Valerie Lawson, poet, publisher, and teacher from Robinston, Maine, and Kristen Lindquist, writer, poet, and naturalist from Camden, Maine. I'm grateful to all three of them for their time, conversation, and especially for reading some of their work with us today. If you're curious to read more of their work or to learn about upcoming events where you can hear them read in person, such as at the annual Belfast Poetry Festival on October 15th, check out the Coastal Conversations webpage on the Maine Sea Grant website. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. The Coastal Conversations theme music of Following Sea was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a 